there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about business development and sales from a young guy who is still in his 20s, I think you are, right? You're still in your 20s? Uh, look, I've, 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 I've hit the 30s. I'm 31 now. Oh, forget yeah. it. I, well, I, I, I now still look young. <laughs> you do. You look very young. Well, anyway, this is the episode for you because my next guest is the chief growth officer at CyberDuck, a digital transformation agency based in the UK. But before I introduce you to CG on a banjo, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you an exclusive window into the guests, into professions, into career development, all of that. And it is super easy to do. If you're not signed up, just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, no spaces, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is C.G. Anabanjo, the chief growth officer at CyberDuck, a digital transformation agency based in the UK where CG leads client services, new business development, marketing, as well as setting the overall strategic direction for the agency. Over the years, CG has won Account Handler of the Year at the Wire Hives Awards. He's also been named as one of the leading business development professionals by BD100, and he's been listed by the British Interactive Media Association as one of the most influential people in the digital industry. CG's clients have included Sport England, the Bank of England, Heineken, International SOS, Maxi Nutrition, and Cancer Research. CG, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you still caffeinated on your tea and ready to go? I am, yeah. It's, it's still keeping me going. <laughs> I, I know. I, I love that intro. Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. So what is your favorite caffeinated beverage in the morning? In the morning, I'd say it's a cup of coffee, a cappuccino. That is my favorite. I, that, I need that to start the day. In fact, I've even, once upon a time, I'd be having cappuccinos like two, three times. I'm not like, that's the most I can have it for <laughs> before I'm bouncing off the walls, but I'd have it like throughout the day. But then interestingly, we did a project with a client based in Italy and one of my colleagues made the mistake of having a cappuccino. I think it was, I think it was after like 11 a.m. He, he ordered a cappuccino in a restaurant and always just looked at him with disgust and I think you're not supposed to have it after a certain time so I'm now trying to make sure just in respect to my Italian colleagues <laughs> I drink my cappuccinos before at least 10 a.m. <laughs> All right okay well you gosh talk about client services there you go <laughs> folks. So before we dig into what you do as the chief growth officer at CyberDuck could you give us a, just a quick overview of what a digital transformation agency is and what you do? 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds fancy. In very simplistic terms, we are a digital agency that helps our clients with their own digital transformations. So as technology and innovation constantly changes and clients are looking to stay on top of it and adapt to it, we help our clients with that. How we do that is by helping them understand who their audience are, their users. So taking a user-centered design approach is extremely important, getting to the heart of what their users' needs are. From that, we can then create a strategy around their whole digital infrastructure. And that would include their various websites and platforms. It include their marketing. It may include their branding as well. Basically, anything that touches digital, we help our clients fulfill their objectives and their strategies. Got it. And so is there an ideal client that CyberDuck works with? We work with clients across a number of different industries. We have a lot of clients in the financial services. We have a lot of, actually, over the years, we've picked up a lot of government and public sector clients too. But really, the clients that would benefit from CyberDuck are those who have complex, complex websites, complex digital platforms which service customers and users but their users can are also quite complex and varied so understanding how they can make this platform work for their audience that's kind of our ideal audience so for example we did some work with sport england so in the uk sport england are the people who basically look after all the grassroots sports initiatives in the country a lot of people go to sport england for funding and we've worked with them kind of overhaul their whole digital strategy so that's looking at who they target who are their relevant audience how we can really show on their own sport england website what they do and how people can get the funding and then help them with initiatives like their new sort of strategy that's just launched as well. We help put that together. We help with the digital side of that. Since we're in a pandemic at the moment, we help support England's who have kind of been the face in the UK of sports during the pandemic and trying to encourage people to stay active. We help put together that whole digital campaign. We created a part of our staying workout campaign. We worked on the digital side of that. So creating the website, creating the platform where people can put events that they were doing where people can join in for remote workshops or remote training sessions, things like that. That's some of the thinking that we provided to help them. And again, their audience, and the audience in reality is everyone in the UK, sort of encourage themselves with sport. So that's, that's just one example. It, re- it really is varied. We, lo- we love a challenge. I think the more complex a client's issues or challenges are, the more excited we get. All right. <laughs> so give us a window into... What you do, CG, as the chief growth officer at CyberDuck, you and I were chatting in our Espresso Shots episode, and you were saying that you wear basically two hats in this role, both as chief development officer, business development, biz dev, and then sales. Yeah, exactly. So within my role, I'd say if you think of it as three pillars, there's the client services and the client relationships. That's one of the pillars that I look after. And I have a team working underneath me who deal with that. Then there's the new business side. So they're the ones who qualify new inquiries coming into the agency who are working to bring those clients on board and to win them. And then there's the marketing side where it's actually promoting us as an agency, making sure that from a brand positioning perspective, we're positioned in a way that brings in the right time for clients and inquiries for us. So where I sit, I sit across all three, but as chief growth officer, my role is more 
it's sort of leaning more towards the client services, client relationships, and the new business. Basically, looking after a whole, speak to a client when they first get in touch with us, or when we go out and reach out to a client, take them through that journey that will hopefully lead to them becoming a partner of us, or us becoming a partner of theirs, should I say, and then turning that into a relationship which will last for many years, which is successful for both us and the clients, where they're able to deliver on what they want using the skills that we have at CyberDuck. So can you take us into a typical day for you now? What does a day look like for you, CG? A lot of meetings. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom fatigue is real, I'll tell you that. <laughs> In terms of what my day would look like, I'd say most mornings I'll start the day, I'd normally have some sort of leadership catch-up with the other business leaders, the CEO, the CTO, the chief production officer too, where we're just discussing our agendas and the key kind of priorities for the business. Then often there'd be, so on Mondays, for example, I then have an all, a team meeting with people in my own team where we look at the priorities for the week ahead. We look at the inquiries that we've received, the status of them, what needs to do, like what pitches we have, what tenders and opportunities that we need to go after. I bring the marketing team and the marketing department into that too, so we can see how we can work together to actually create engagement campaigns or things that will help to attract more of these clients. So it's a lot of internal meetings. Normally when all my meetings are kind of done, where they kind of go throughout the day, it then comes down to dealing with clients and prospects. So I'll often, my role now is really more in a review, reviewer type of role. There'll be work that my team would have done, putting together proposals, putting together pitches or responses to clients. My role would be to review those, work with them to improve it, find new angles that we can use to impress clients and prospects as well. All of that's done over Slack. So heavy Slack user as well, where there's that constant communication with my team. And then I also, as chief growth officer have a few accounts that I manage personally. Like I said, I've got a team who now kind of manage lots of the accounts. Well, I still like to be involved and I still like to take on a few accounts myself. So for example, I'm the account owner for Compare for Market, which is a big price insurance comparison company in the UK. For the UK listeners, they'll know them by the Meerkats on their adverts. So that's one of my accounts. There'll be meetings with a client where we're showcasing our work, showcasing progress, discussing how we move forward with what we're doing. I'll be part of that. Again, I would probably be a little bit more hands-off on that with the team probably doing a lot more of the talking. But then if any issues arise, I'll be the one to handle those. Yeah, so I think I've got to a point where I'm on those meetings with a client as well. I'll have a few of those meetings a week as well. And the follow-up actions from that, we're working with project managers on the account to see how we can further service the clients. And then there'll be for the big pitches, big new prospects, I'll help to lead those as well. So I'll be the one to kind of put together pitch decks, work on the strategy behind the pitch, and actually go and do the pitch itself as well. That's kind of a lot of what I do. It does differ by day, but there's a lot. And then also hiring, like we're always, we're growing as an agency and fitting in interviews around that as well are important. Well, that's great news. Congratulations that CyberDuck is growing during the pandemic. Yeah, at one point when the pandemic first started, we weren't sure how things were going to go because no one knew, to be honest. Like, it's, it's a new territory for everyone. But we've built a good, solid brand over the last 15 years. And in the last couple of years, we've put a lot of work and energy into who we are as an agency, our positioning. And that's helped us to bring on board some really strong clients. And that meant that when the pandemic hit, we've got some good clients on board. 
who fortunately they themselves weren't affected too badly by the pandemic. And it meant that there was opportunities to do more work with them around adapting to this new reality. And that's, that's kind of helped us. So that sustained us a lot this year with existing relationships with clients. And then it's also meant on the marketing side, we've kind of gone into overdrive to really try and make up for that lack of face-to-face communication, switching our strategy as well, because it means everyone being remote actually is, I've worked with clients in other parts of the country or in the world, are much more convenient. So yeah, we've managed to pick up some really good wins as well, which meant that we, we hit our targets. So it's, it's, it's weird because I know a lot of people have been affected badly during, uh, because of the pandemic. But one of the key things I've tried to do in my role is see how we can, in whatever way we can, turn it into a positive and help people through it. And that's kind of been how we've been marking ourselves over the last year. And it's, it's, it's worked really well. That's no small feat. CG, what do you think people who, let's just say, are starting out in business development or maybe have been in it for a while, but don't have a great success rate get wrong? What do you think are some of the bigger takeaways that you have learned over the years that have led to your success as a chief growth officer? I would say, I say this to my team as well, especially those new into the game, and actually even those who are experienced as well, that in at least the culture of my agency and what we do, it's take that consultative approach to selling. I think that typical sales bravado type thing doesn't always work because I think what clients are looking for is someone who can guide them through their challenge. And I think that's our role. We are, we are that initial person who can help them with their challenge. So take a consultative approach to selling, do the softer skills of sales, win the trust of clients and bring them on board and gain their respect. Because I think sometimes sales is seen as a bit of a dirty word and people see sales and they get put off. But actually, if you look at it, the role of a salesperson is to help you understand how the agency can solve your challenges. And you do that by listening to what their challenges are, being able to communicate that back to them, but with solutions. Because the solutions have a team implement, but your job as a salesperson actually to give them some of that value that they will then trust you and select you as an agency moving forward. So is it more listening? Yes, listen, 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 more listening, less talking, getting into a sales meeting or a meeting with a client. And the first thing you're doing isn't starting a presentation about you. I'd always have a presentation ready, but I'd much rather hear from the client for the first 30, 40 minutes of the meeting. Or even if a whole meeting is just talking about the client's their challenges, that's what I prefer because you get so much more out of the client's mouth than if you're just talking. You end a lot of salespeople probably start by opening a presentation, talk about the agency for 30 minutes, and then the client doesn't have much time to talk about their own challenge. And it's you need, we need to flip that on its head. We need to turn it around the other way, find out what the client's problems are, then talk about how your agency can solve it, not talk about your agency and hope that, you know, all the things that you're throwing at the client, something will stick and they go, yes, we'll hire you for that. So that's kind of my approach. You mentioned in our Espresso Shots interview, and by the way, check out show notes to see if CG's Espresso Shots episode has already dropped. But you mentioned during pitches the importance of telling a story. Could you elaborate on that? Storytelling is important. I think us as humans, we all connect with stories. If you think about your friendships and you think about people you know, what is it that kind of tends to bring people together? And it's those stories. It's like those tales of something happening and then something happening next, then the end of the solution. And I think when it comes to sales, a good way to make the client picture 
what you're trying to do is through storytelling. A pitch for me has a like a story has a beginning, middle, and end. I think part of that beginning is actually the context. So again, it's not talking about you as an agency. That's kind of at the end of a story. The beginning is actually talking about the context in which the client's problem or their challenge exists. You then get into what could potentially happen if that challenge isn't resolved or what actually would happen when the challenge is resolved. Again, it differs depending on the client. Really great book that I'd recommend. A little side note is a book called The Hidden Agenda by Kevin Allen. Really fascinating book about understanding what the client really wants and needs behind their brief. Once you understand who your client is, and I'm not talking about the company, I'm talking about the person you're speaking to, you then adjust the story accordingly. So it could be more about what success looks like, but it could also be what does failure look like and how do we avoid that? So that's the first kind of part of that storytelling. You then talk about what the solution is. That solution, again, you're not really talking about you as an agency, but talking about from a digital perspective, what does that look like? Why is it important that you get to the heart of what your users' needs are? And when you do understand what your users want and need, how will that elevate you as a business? And that's when you can then bring in stuff about the agency. So great news is there's an agency that can help you with that. It's it's us, it's Cyberduck. And you bring in social proof as well. You, you, you tell stories from other clients of their challenges and how you resolve their challenges. And you pick the examples that relate closely to that of a person you're speaking to and you show what successes look like for them that kind of gives them a full picture so you're still selling the agency you're still selling what you do but actually it's coming from a more consultative approach where you're first of all discuss the clients challenges and needs and it becomes hopefully more conversational because what you really want when you talk about those challenges and needs are either for them to have identified by themselves and go and be nodding along with you going yep we've experienced that or for them to just pause for a second and think because like you've, you've taught them something new that they maybe didn't know about their own challenge and i think where you have either of those interactions you know you're, you're you're in a good position to you know bring that client on board during our espresso shots interview and i was asking you what the best part of being in this yeah. space is you said winning pitches yeah. yeah exactly can you tell when you've got them sometimes sometimes not i tell you what it is harder over zoom <laughs> when in, i've been in pitches over the last year where not everyone has a camera on and it's harder to create that same it's, it's harder to replicate that energy you have in the room where you can look people in the eye you can direct certain points to certain people now you're talking at a screen and even now talking to you i know my camera's up here but it's quite off-putting to be staring directly into the camera instead of looking at a person. So there's always some kind of dynamics which change, but you sometimes get a really good feeling when that chemistry is right with a client. And ultimately, that's what you're looking for. Again, for me, it's all about chemistry because we're not winning a client just to get numbers on our balance sheet and say, yeah, we've hit our revenue target. Once we win the client, that's when the relationship actually starts. So it can't be built on lies to start with. You have to be honest. If they're not the right client for you, you need to find that out during those initial interactions because it's better to identify that and move on. And actually, the amount of times that I've gone and said, we're not a good fit, I think that's empowering in a way. And those are fears of salesperson that you may not get, like, you know, you need every opportunity that comes in. But it's so it's so much more empowering when you're utilizing your time effectively on the leads and the clients that, you know, are a good fit for your business. And by the time you get to the pitch, you should have already started building up those relationships to a point where when you get into the pitch, 
you have a confidence that you're going to win. Something else I always tell my team is if we don't have the inside track, someone else does. So it's really important that build up to the pitch to build up that relationship with the prospect, to ask questions, be inquisitive, and where where possible to disrupt that process too. Sometimes I have a set process, this is how you need to do things. If you can find ways to disrupt that, that often puts you in a better position because while everyone else is following the rules, you've created a separate lane for yourself. You stood out. So that's another thing I kind of challenge my team. Like I always say to them, how can we disrupt this process? How What can we do that will make us stand out separately? And not in a negative, disruptive way, but more in a, this agency a bit different. Because I can imagine, I've never been on the client side of the table, but sitting and listening to five or six agencies talk about probably similar things it's probably tiresome, right? So you need to do something that makes you stand out. Totally. So let's flash back very quickly to when you were in university. You went to the University of Bath and you graduated with honors with a degree in business administration from the School of Management. Did you know what you were going to do with your degree when you graduated, CG? Honestly, I'd say when I graduated, I knew what I was going to do because... My first job out of university was at Cyberduck and how my course is set up is with two placements. So I spent six months at one company after my first year of university. Then in my third year, I spent six months at a second company. Now that second company was Cyberduck and it was during that internship that I realized I love digital. Like the world of digital is where I, where I should be. I think that's where I saw my future. By the time I graduated, Sabak had already said to me, we want you to come back and be our new business manager, which I didn't feel qualified for, but I was I was that kind of person. It was like, I will, I will not say no to any challenge. So, of course, I took it up. It was an industry that I really liked. Um, it was a company that I knew and could see they were destined for great things. At the time, they were probably like 11, 12 people. Now we're around 80 people as an agency. Wow. But I, I knew back then there, there was this vision from the CEO, Danny, where he wanted to take the business. And I kind of bought into that. So I didn't really give it a second thought, really. During my studies, I thought my future was going to be in consulting. There's a kind of running joke with people on my course that Accenture is kind of the fifth year of our degree because after everyone finishes, most people end up going to Accenture and take that consulting route. And I nearly did that too. It wasn't until my second placement when I was like, I felt a connection more with that smaller company. And for me, it was a fact that when I went to Cyberduck as an 11, 12 person agency, as an intern, by the time I left in my seven, eight months, I was doing things there, which a lot of my friends and things weren't being exposed to because it was such a small company. I was getting involved in marketing, pitches, and financial side of things, and negotiations, even with creative work. And I learned so much from that, but it made me think, I don't think I'm best suited to a big corporate co- company where I'm just like a small piece of a large works. I'd rather be a bigger piece in a smaller company. So that's kind of a real end I've taken. What advice would you have for our young listeners who are still in university now about how to stand out during an internship? I'll tell you how not to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> in my first week as an intern at Cyberduck, I, I took it upon myself to change my job title. My job title was supposed to be like Mark Junior Marketing Intern or something like that. Within a few days, I'd changed on my email signature. I think I'd call myself like marketing executive or maybe I might have even put senior in front of it. I don't know. 
my god. I just I just remember kind of being called up by my line manager, the CEO. It's like, why what have you done with your email signature? Why have you changed it? And I explained to them, again, I was quite brash, I was like quite I don't know what the word is, but I just said to them, I changed it because I was messaging clients, some of your clients, and I wanted them to listen to what I was saying and for them to respect what I was saying in my email. And I figured with the title I had before, it wasn't going to do that. So I did that more as an outwardly facing thing. And I think in a way, like, I think that was more about Danny, the CEO clock. Okay, there's, there's something about this guy because not many interns would even have, I guess, the guts to do something like that. And at the time, it didn't feel like a gutsy thing for me. It was just like an instinctive, I'm going to change my email signature so I can sound like I had more authority to clients. So that's one way to stand out, change your email signature. Uh, <laughs> not, not everyone's going to be as, I guess, forgiving as, as the guys at Cyberk were. But I think what else put me in a good position was just get involved. When you're starting out where you're an intern, you have nothing to lose but everything to gain. So if at the end of the internship you can't say that you've really stretched yourself and you've pushed yourself, even if a company has put you in a box of what interns are supposed to do, if you've not come out of that box and really shown what you can do, and sometimes be a bit ballsy, be a bit, be a bit out there with your approach, sometimes that's needed as an intern because at the end of the day, when you finish your internship, it's the experience that you have out of it that will take you further in your career. And it's easy to just do the norm, in, out, in, out, maybe make teas and coffees, do small tasks here and there. But actually, if you go to your line and say, I want to know more how this works or that works, you learn so much more. I did it at my first internship too, at Future Publishing, which is like large magazine publisher in the UK, where I was a data marketing intern. And I said to my line manager, that was my first placement, I said, I'd like to get some experience in the creative department. I want to see how they put the magazines together. I want to see how they print it. I want to see how they design the covers. I want to see how a content team. And that wasn't part of my job, but I wanted to see all of that so I can get a fuller picture of how things work. So I think it's, I guess the link there is to be inquisitive, right? That's kind of a skill. Be inquisitive and try and get the most out of the experience for yourself. That's, that's what I'd say. Yes. And you need to take the initiative to do that. Yeah. You need yeah. to be self-driven to ask for those opportunities because oftentimes it's not that your supervisor, your line manager, however you describe it, isn't that they don't have your better interests at heart, but they're busy. <laughs> you know, they're they're running whatever they're they're overseeing their own responsibilities and they aren't thinking about the professional development necessarily of their interns. That's definitely true. So before we get to our two final questions that I try to ask all of my guests, CG, I have to ask you because it is unusual to have someone stay at the same company for, what is it, 10 years? 10, 10 plus? Years. 10 years. Why have you stayed put? Because so many young people today move around. What do you think the advantages are of having put down roots in one place at one company? I'd start by saying that's not a right or wrong. I'd say if you're not growing in your career in one place, definitely look to move on. If you're not respected where you're working, definitely move on. If a company doesn't match your own personal ambitions, then it makes sense to move on as well. Now, I think the reason I've been at my agency for 10 years 
is because all of those things I just mentioned were matched by the company. So when they brought me back as a new business manager from uni, they put a lot of trust in me to do a role where I was really managing people and I'd had no management experience. And I, I spoke to Danny, the CEO. I remember speaking to him before I left and went back to uni to complete my studies. And he was telling me about his vision for the agency. And I said, as long as this agency is hungry to keep pushing themselves and grow and succeed, then I would see no reason why I should leave. Because ultimately, that's what I want out of profession too. I want to grow up. I saw them, I saw a potential in an 11, 12 person agency. If they weren't going to fill that potential, I probably would have left. If I wasn't able to make an impact with that, I would have moved on. But as I mentioned in that other chat we just had, digital changes all the time. The things that I was doing within my job three, four years ago, a lot of that's redundant now. Like if I was still trying to do things the same way, we wouldn't be winning any business. Every year feels like a new job, especially when you get your new targets and it's always about growth and it's talking about how we expand the agency. We, we now have offices in, I think, five different countries. That's a different challenge because part of my role is also the growth of the agency as a whole. So that's a different growth challenge to when you're an 11, 12-person agency looking at local companies and seeing which local companies can we bring on board to sustain us. We're now working with some of the top public sector organizations in the UK, working internationally. Our client challenges are huge. Like the, the challenge has changed and that's what excites me. I could go somewhere else to get that same experience, but I can also do that somewhere where I feel trusted in what I'm doing. I've kind of built I've kind of built the team around me from that growth perspective. And I still don't think to this day that the agency has reached its full potential, which is why I'm still here for that ride and still here for that journey. The culture is a good one. I know, again, being a black person, there's a lot of talk about it. It's not the most diverse of industries. So that's kind of been raised a lot this last year. But I know that they welcomed me as a young black person who didn't have much experience. And the culture side of it has always been one of inclusiveness. I'm not going to lie. Other agencies have approached me at that time. I get approached quite often, actually. And whenever I've kind of had those conversations and moved a bit further into it, the role has, or the agency, there's always been something which makes me think I'm not going to be as happy in this place. And again, one of the things I've learned is work is great, title is great, but actually having that work-life balance, having that happiness outside of a job, I'm equally as important. So if I move now, it will be for an extremely exciting challenge that I think will kind of push me to a stage that I'm unable to where I am now, even in the next couple of years. That will be what will make me move that challenge. But also if I can still maintain that good mental balance that I have at the moment, which is, I think, important to me. I'm so glad that you shared that last point about the lack of diversity in the digital marketing space. What advice do you have for our young listeners who are Black, who may be in the United States, may be in Europe, about how to navigate this industry as a person of color? It's it's tricky. It is tricky because, like I said, there's a lack of diversity. Thankfully, the last year has seen a lot of agencies look to try and address that. But, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Things aren't going to change overnight. A lot of it was likely performative because it's a right thing to say, but it's a lot harder to implement some of those changes. So it is difficult. Some of the advice and tips I'd say are try and find try and find someone in the industry already who's who looks like you, who you can relate to as a mentor, because that's 
I mean, that is important. Someone who you've seen has, has achieved because it can also be quite demoralizing when you join an industry, but you don't see anyone who looks like you in seniority. So when you do see someone, I think trying to connect with them, try and learn from them or what they've been able to do. I'd say join a company that values diversity and inclusion isn't just talking about it like look at their history of it as well is it something they've only just been saying recently or is it something about the clear part of their culture i think that's important because you spend so much time at work it's important to feel that you can be yourself your authentic self at work and i think find the right agency for that is important i would say be yourself because i think what people are realizing now is there's power in and there's value in having people of different cultures within an organization so be yourself. Don't necessarily conform to try and fit in. Understand the context of where you are. That's always important. Understand the context of where you are. But make sure it's something that allows you to be yourself and flourish that way. Because there'll be something that you can bring to the table that everyone else who looks the same in that place will not. So I think they're the key things. And I'd say that's it. It's, it's such a challenging and difficult question. I think find people who, like find a mentor, find someone who looks like you. Work, I'd say work hard but also work smart. It sounds like a massive cliche. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a case of knowing your own worth as well. Yes. Know when a situation isn't right for you and call it out. I think we need to be braver to call out situations which aren't right for us. And if it means we have to leave that company and go elsewhere, then so be it. But never, never kind of diminish your own value or your worth for a company or someone else. Thank you. So couple of final questions. And I try to ask all of my guests these two questions, CG, to see if you would share a time in your professional life when you've struggled, when you've had a particular challenge. You may have even failed at something. And the reason that I ask this is not to try to embarrass my guests. Far from it. It is to try to empower our young listeners who see someone like you who has made it into the C-suite and to think, well, it sounds like everything he touched turned to gold. Look at him. He got a job before he graduated from university from one of the internships he had, and it was just up, 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 up. And maybe that has been the case. But if it hasn't, to see if you would share an experience that you've had, most importantly, to illustrate how you persevered, how you pushed through the other side, and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. It's, it's, a, it's a, that's a good question. It's a good question to ask. I think it, it requires thought because obviously I can talk about not winning certain clients or pitches, but I think that's that's part that's part of course, you know, that's part of the job and what you do. And I've I think I've, I in a lot of ways I have been fortunate that like you said, I joined the same company out of uni and I was entrusted with responsibility right from the start. I've kind of grown and learned as I went and you know, it's kind of been an upward journey. But maybe I think maybe something that I've learned which probably has impact is managing people. In some ways it was good. I left university, i got this position as a new business manager at an agency and I was managing people straight away, but I hadn't had management experience. I maybe had a, man a module on management at university, but I never actually managed people and I didn't know what that looked like. I'd never, I've <laughs> not even really worked with enough managers to know what a good manager was or what a bad manager was. I think some of my initial decisions as a manager and how I interact with people in my team could have been better. 
I think there was like I, I'm looking back at some of the people I've managed over the years, and I feel there was some who had potential but didn't fulfill their potential at Cyberduck, and I feel my management style could have helped them reach that further. I feel being a young person straight out of uni managing people sometimes like twice, maybe sometimes even older than my own parents I've had to manage I think there's a pressure that you, I put on myself to be a particular way in terms of what that management style is and I think it's only as the years went on I kind of started developing my own style of management which wasn't this at times maybe overly strict and you must do this kind of thing but actually just be more myself in management which is actually getting on my having a mutual respect and being myself Knowing that if I didn't know the answer to something, I can say that and that wouldn't make me look like a weak <laughs> manager. I think there was a tendency in the early days where if I didn't know something or maybe I'd, I'd rush a decision, I wouldn't actually just go, you know what, I don't have the answer. But let's see if we can come to an answer together and actually have that collaborative approach. So I think that's something I've learned over time. I wouldn't really say it was a setback as much for myself, but I feel my management style has improved as the years have gone on. And I'm sure some of the people I managed in my earlier days if I was management now, it would have been a different relationship and a different dynamic. Yes, I totally get that. Because when I left journalism, I moved into a management role in this boutique public affairs shop and mm. had never managed people before. And I went in as a senior vice president. And so I look at that now and I'm like, oh, I didn't know how to run a meeting, CG. I had never been really, I'd only ever been in a handful of meetings because mm. most of my time as a journalist, I was, a, you know, it was myself and a producer and cameraman. So we were out there doing our thing. And suddenly you were one-to-one meetings. What was that? And, you know, having an agenda and all of that I'd never done. And I, Mm. I look back on it and I, I just cringe at the way that I was. So I think having that, that self-awareness is so wonderful and just the maturity. I I think that's what it is. I think it's that maturity. It's that growth as a person and in many ways, it's kind of like us to be agency. When I joined, it was young, relatively immature agency. We've grown to now, like, we can't do things the same way we used to do back then. Our clients have changed. My team has changed. It's grown in size. But I'd also say those experiences I had of managing people in the early days, I probably learned, I, I learned from them. I learned actually what my own style of management is and what I feel makes a good leader of a team through some of those experiences and not being afraid of getting feedback either. Understanding that actually the things that are typically considered as weakness aren't actually, they're actually strengths in many ways, right? So I think that's probably one of the biggest learnings. And in terms of a listener, listener now, I would say that every everything that happens in your career, you can turn into an advantage. Even if it may not look like at the time, you have to look at how you'll look back at OBS and go, this is kind of what shaped me as well. So whether it is, you know, being fired from a job or being let go from a job, which at the time can seem like the most demoralizing thing that hits your confidence. Actually, I've, I know people who have been fired from jobs. And when I look at where they are now, they'll tell you themselves, it was those experiences that kind of shaped who they are. They found out more about who they were as a person, like what they wanted to do and how they handle certain situations and what they would do differently. And I think with that, every opportunity you have, can be a good one in work. It just depends on your perspective on it and how you move forward with it too. And that's all that we have control over anyway, is how we look at it. Very true. 
Final question. If you could go back to university and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, CG, what mm-hmm. advice would you give yourself? Got some good, good questions in this one. <laughs> what advice would I give myself? I would say network more. Builds, build those connections with people outside of work. It wasn't until I left university that, and I joined the workplace, but I started to build my network and connections there. If I could do more of that at university, then I think that would have helped me with my career. Having other senior people or people who are already in the workplace who I can lean on for advice and expertise, things I didn't have initially and was making up as I went along. That's one of the things. Because if I'm being honest, I, I, I enjoyed Judy. I had a good social life, had a, had a lot of fun worked hard as well at times (laughs) most mostly fun but at times worked hard built good connections with my other people my course and things like that but i think it was when you think about uni part of it is about getting a job and elevate yourself in the workplace i think it would have been now that i know that i went into digital it would have been good to have connected with other people in the industry and in more senior positions and really learn from them be a sponge to all of their knowledge because i'm sure that would help me even further than where i am now i guess great advice cg i want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the time for coffee community even though it is pretty late in the evening (laughs) now in the uk i so appreciate you making the time to share all of your incredible wisdom and insights with me and the t4c community no it's it's been great i think it's a really great platform you have here you know with all these different professions i've had a look at a few of the interviews all these different professions like the different advice that people get i think if anyone's listening, there'll be an episode out there which will resonate with them. So I think it's, I think that's really important. I'm glad I've finally been able to do this too. I know we've been trying to do it for quite a long time now, but good things come to those who wait and <laughs> we've waited for this. So yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I hope I've said some useful things amongst all my babbling. <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously happy to, you know, if anyone was listening and wants to reach out to me, I am available like my, my name is Sidney on Banjo. I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, you can send me a message directly. I'm always happy to speak because I love giving back. So yeah, guess that's what I've got to say for now. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.